Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD for July 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me in the studio today, returning back, is Scott St. Clair, Senior Product Coach of MarketSmith, star of the MarketSmith webinar, Stay in Step, and also three-time racquetball champion. Three-time, two-time. Two-time. Yeah. You'll, you will be a champion again. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being here, Scott. Thanks, bud. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the markets, how your behavior could affect your portfolio performance, and current stocks. So, Scott, let's get into the market. Uh, we're in an uptrend right now. Uh, two distribution days on the NASDAQ, one on the S&P 500. And we've had some days where the market has sold off pretty heavy. Leading stocks have sold off, you know, gotten really scary at points. But by the end of the week, they always seem to come back. So everything just seems to be hanging in there during these kind of tricky summer months. Yeah, the market, it's a strange, strange market. Um, somebody who I respect, a, a longtime trader that I know said, he was a, yesterday uh, was a big day, at least to start, right, with the China news. And he's like, I didn't make as much money today as I thought I would, right? Yeah. And, and it was like a strange day with the markets up so much. Uh, and so it, some days the stocks were in, they just shine versus the market. And then other days, you know, not so much. But, you know, keep it simple. The market's in an uptrend. So if it's in an uptrend, what do you do? You're in, you're in buy mode and you're managing your positions. Pretty easy. Yeah, a, a lot of times the best thing you can do is do nothing. Yeah. Right? Until the stocks really force you out or hit your, your sell rules. Uh, and so the, the NASDAQ right now, it's really close to new highs. Uh, it finished around 81.07 today. Uh, the S&P 500, on the other hand, actually hit new highs. And we spoke about this a little bit on, on our webinar that yeah. we did last week. There's there's a little bit of a divergence here uh, still. Now, it would be a little bit more troubling if if we if things started to sell off and the Nasdaq never hit its new high. Right? Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was going to say it. That's the only kind of fly in the ointment as far as the indexes that I see is is the divergence, right? You get one major index making a new high while the other doesn't, and the Russell is, you know, really far from a new high. So, you know, in the market, there's always something to worry about. And so that's the one thing that I, you know, if you told me what don't I like, I'd prefer they be in sync. So there is a little bit of a divergence uh, that, that, so you keep that in mind. You're right. If it starts to come down, uh, you know, you're always going to have rules for, for getting out anyways. So, but yeah, that, that, that does stick out to me a little bit when I look at the indexes. Now, you mentioned the Russell. The Russell is really the one index, and, and this is the index for small caps. And the, uh, and this one hasn't, is nowhere near new highs. Yeah. It's been struggling for most of the year. Uh, and now, here, here's the reason why we want small cap stocks to participate in these rallies. That tells you that there's more risk coming into the market. There's more speculation coming in the market. And when you have more money willing to bet on stocks that are a little bit more riskier, a little bit more unknown, uh, that's going to add more fuel, especially for our kind of stocks, too. It just A lot of times, the money just kind of flows to a lot of these growth-related stocks. Yeah, what we talked about it, the animal spirits, right? Yeah. So you like you like for the market to be in, in risk mode. <laughs> so uh, I, it's funny you mentioned the Russell. Have you ever gone through the index of the Russell and, like, looked at the stocks in no. the Russell? No. It's Yeah, so I don't remember what, what time period, but the yeah. Russell was really outperforming, so I, I was trying to get exposure in that area. Yeah. So I just took 
you know, and Mark Smith all the stocks in the Russell and just, you know, dumped them in there through Excel and just space bar through the list. And I was like, oh, there's nothing in here that I would buy. Did you recognize a lot of these stocks? No. So it was it, it was a very strange index to me. I don't remember. This was probably a couple of years ago when I did that. So, But I like the idea of, of people willing to take risk, not only Russell, but like the IPO market is is something that, you know, I'll watch. Like, the, are these, you know, new hot flyers? Uh, are they acting well? If Are people willing to take risk in them? Now, it can get out of hand, like, you know, like a Tilray, you know, yeah, 100 thing. points yeah. in half an hour. That, that uh, you don't want that type of action because that usually tends to near the, be near the end. But you want strong action, you know, willing to speculate in newer growth names. So I watch the IPOs for that type of animal spirits and then, you know, I, the Russell as well. Um, and there have been a lot of IPOs that have come out over the last couple of months. And, and adding towards that, you know, uh, these maybe a little bit more speculation coming towards those stocks. And some of these IPOs have gone on some pretty good runs. Yeah. There, a lot of times when I see that or, or some, a number of these IPOs that I don't have a lot of earnings, I get nervous because it does remind me of last year with the marijuana stocks like Tilray or a Canopy where they started going through the roofs. And that was that was kind of the end of that market, that rally. Yeah. And and so I, it was almost a year ago, right, where Tilray went, 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 I hit 300 and then, then topped at that point. And then a couple of months later, or maybe six weeks later, the whole market started top. Yeah. And then we, we had a brutal end of the year. So I, I do get nervous about that. And the IPOs, I think it might be since 2000, this is the greatest number of IPOs with companies going public without, you know, current earnings. So, you know, anytime somebody says this is the same market as yeah. 2000, right, or or 2008, you know, it makes everybody nervous. But yeah, that, it, it is, you do see that with the type of stocks that have gone public. Now, let's talk about uh, the, well, we, we the trade war that's going on here. Uh, now, maybe that's getting closer to being resolved, who knows. But uh, the Chinese stocks, they've been hammered quite a bit recently. Maybe they're starting to wake up. We need we need some more of those kind of stocks to, to get are, into this if we're going to yeah, a few names are showing up on my screens, and I even own a couple of them as well. Uh, China, if you look at the indexes, whether it's the Hang Seng or the uh, you know the CSI 300, I think it is or 3,000. I think it's 300, but uh, they, they've been in a bear market for a long time, so they they've corrected. Plenty. So if these stocks were coming out of bases, these would all be, you know, really first stage bases. And yep. so you've, you've got a lot of potential runway uh, on that side of, of, you know, on those types of stocks. And, and with first stage bases, what we mean are these stocks have gotten hit so hard that they started undercutting previous support areas, previous lows. And, and when we see that now, they've kind of cleared out everyone. Scare, you scare out all of the weak holders. And, and so that kind of gives it the strength for a, a, if it starts to come back, build new bases. Now you almost reset the count and the stocks have the potential to go on a, a pretty decent run. Yeah, because they're, they're in strong hands now. It's unlikely that anyone in some of these stocks is going to hold them down 40, 50 percent. Not only the percentage move down is brutal to, to stand, but the time, too. So a lot of them have been off their highs for, you know, 18 months or something. Right. So, you know, the combination of that helps you to kind of clear the deck 
get rid of any potential overhead supply if they were to start moving up. So let's just uh, briefly end with some sectors. You know, the software sector, a number of the software industry groups, uh, they've obviously been the leaders for the first half of the year. But as I was going through some screens, I'm starting to notice some other industry groups, some other sectors starting to appear, like the aerospace, even like the building group is slowly starting to come up. Are you seeing any other uh, kind of groups that are, are starting to come on their radar during your screening process? I did notice those. Um, the one group that I kind of missed, it was solar. Solar yes. has been really strong. Uh, Enphase, is, ENPH has been an incredible stock. And, and I, I, I remember the weekend I saw the stock. It had gapped up. It was around four, uh, 14, I believe, maybe a little less. And on the weekend routine, I, I it just that stock. Wow, look at that strength. Yeah. And the next day, the mar it was on a Monday. The market was bad, and I thought, good, here's my chance. I'm going to buy ENPH. And I actually put in orders on a Sunday night to buy the stock down. I don't remember, maybe fifty cents or something. I wanted because it was going to be a bad Monday. I don't yeah. even remember why, but it didn't open down that much which was all the more reason to just go yeah, ahead and buy it, it, right? Yeah. And, yep. and I was stumbling over pennies in the end. I never bought that stock. Yeah, and so that ticker symbol is ENPH. They had an earnings gap. The gap that you're talking about is a result of an earnings reaction. Yeah. It never undercut the low of that earnings gap, which is a sign of strength yeah. right there. And since then, it went from 13 to 18, so a pretty good run right there. Uh, so the market continues to be in an uptrend. Leading stocks continue to hang in. We are during the we are in the summer months. And so if we can survive this volatility, maybe we set ourselves up for a nice fall rally. Uh, let's take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to talk about how your behavior can have a huge effect on your portfolio performance. Stay tuned. Hey guys, Arusha from Investing with IBD here. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. We're back with Scott St. Clair on Investing with IBD. So, Scott, let's talk about human nature and how your behavior can affect your portfolio performance. And this is, you know, this is really a, a pretty new science, too, right? Yeah. This is behavioral finance where uh, maybe, what, the last 30, 40 years has really gotten popular. And even you know, maybe the last 10, it's like exploded. It's right. been exponential, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's go into this. And there are really kind of three aspects that we were going to go over uh, here, kind of nice overview yeah, of, of the whole. There's plenty more to discuss, but right. yeah, we'd be here all day. And, and it's also a way for for you to force me to come back. We'll do another <laughs> section on each of the 35 things that we do wrong as human investors. <laughs> yeah, we are we are very good at talking about <laughs> how many things we do yeah, wrong because exactly. I mean that's one thing when when you're especially when you're studying this growth strategy, right? You learn very quickly that you're wrong a lot, right? And you have to get used to making mistakes uh, because that's how we learn, but uh, you're, this, these are the markets. This is, uh, you're, you're trying to put some a structure in place to something that is out of control many times. Yeah. And, and, and really can, it's really random in, in if you look at it too closely. 
Yeah, well, think about everything you've done as a kid in school and any uh, degrees you had or designations. It was all about how much did you get right, right? right? So we've yep. been trained to, to be right. And imagine you went to the doctor and he was only right half the time. Um, you know, you you probably wouldn't want to go see him <laughs> That's too true. often. That's true. Right? But in this business, you can be right half the time or less and make a fortune. Yeah. And you just got to, it's hard to change that mindset to think about that, but uh, you got to overcome that humanness about you. Yeah, yeah. No, and that that's, that's the name of the game right here. You, you find out how human you are and, yeah. and how many mistakes you really make. And, and the most important thing is recognizing that and learning from them. Okay, Scott. So let's go into the the first subject here that we want to, or first topic of behavioral finance that we want to talk about here, uh, information overload. Yeah. So it it leads to um, in regards to our charts. So a lot of people are wanting to know, you know, why do we have these charts that have been pretty much the same for gosh, 40, 50 years? And these are the markets. Really, it's all of our charts, yeah. but the the classic one, especially the the market Smith charts, which. It started off when the the Daily Graphs chart books back in the seventies. Yeah. So really, you know, um, even year earlier than that. There aren't any MACDs or you know uh, RSI or any of All these, these oscillators. Yeah, and any stuff of these right. indicators that a lot of people ask about. And there's a reason why we don't have them on there. We've tested them all. And, you know, Bill's been uh, part of the institutional services for fifty years. And believe me, if there's an indicator out there, he's willing to test it. But he just found it just cluttered the chart. It, it just led to too many distractions. Too much information is not necessarily better. Right. Uh, you, it leads to overconfidence, which is one of the, you know, the main, uh, you know, things in behavioral finance that they talk about. The, the classic study is the horse racing, right? We talked about this where they gave these uh, handicappers who actually make a living betting on horse racing, which is incredible to me. I, I, I've got a lot of d two, uh, dead $2 tickets out there. <laughs> I don't know how they can possibly pick that, but there was guys that can do that. And so they tested them. They gave them you know, a handful of indicators in the next race and gave them a bankroll and, and told them to you know, see how well they did. And then they repeated the process, but in this case, they gave them many more indicators, mm. a lot more information right, to make a decision. And what happened was with all that more information that they had, it led to overconfidence. They mismanaged their bankroll uh, because before they were a little uncertain. They were always worried, well, it could be this, it could be that. And so they, they did it the right way. Whereas if they really saw a horse, man, the, the, all the indicators say this horse has to win and they overbet their bankroll and that horse didn't, didn't come in, then they, they, were, they were in trouble. So having too much information can lead to overconfidence. It's not really, uh, it's really a less is more. You don't need that many things to make a sound decision. And in the end, it, it's a game of imperfect information. And so you have a plan, you know what, if I'm wrong, I, I do this, right? But if you have, if you decide, well, I can't be wrong. These 30 things say this stock has to be a winner. Right. You're probably gonna invest too much and you're probably going to ignore the signals to get out when it goes bad. Yeah, it, it, it's keeping it simple. There are clear rules where you know when you're wrong and, and when you, you have a good idea that, okay, this stock has a chance. And uh, uh, yeah, th and that's why we kind of have the sell rules and all this kind of stuff. If a stock's in a downtrend, avoid it. If a stock's in an uptrend, you know, give it a chance, right? Yeah. You know, if you keep it that simple, you're going to do pretty well. Yeah. But as humans, you know, our behavior can sabotage that. Right, we can talk ourselves out of uh, these really good stocks uh, because we're afraid of 
losing maybe we're, we maybe we're up a little bit on the stock and we're afraid of giving that back yeah. and losing it and oh we can get back into it later because now i know how to read charts and all this stuff right when a lot of times the best thing you can do is just let the stock do its thing and because it's an uptrend in the end the larger more primary trend is still up and you don't want to mess around with that too much. Yeah, if you, something as simple as you know, if don't keep anything that, that you're underwater with, and never take, never sell something that you have a profit in. If you had that kind of rule, you'd probably have 95% losers, but you'd be some incredible, incredible, huge winners. Yeah. You know, I think about my career. Some of the what if I never took a Here profit? We Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. My Apple story. If I never took a profit in Apple, I would not be on this podcast, Arush. I'm yeah. not going to let you live that down. Well, you know, I, the sad thing is I was in Apple at that same time. Yeah. So, yeah, we probably never met each We went and met each other yeah. on the island. I think I would rather have the money than have met you. Yeah, but even true. though yeah. it's fun working with you. <laughs> <laughs> but just something that simple, right? And, yeah. and just, just cut your losers short, let your winners run. It sounds investing is simple, but it's not easy. And it's not easy because we don't make it easy. Yeah. It really just comes back down to that behavior again, yeah. right? That human nature. We don't make it easy. The rules are all laid out right there. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill O'Neill wrote this amazing book, How to Make Money in Stocks. <laughs> just read that book and follow the rules. That's all you have to do. Yeah. And no one can do it because everyone's human, right? Yeah. Everyone wants to make their, you know, kind of, oh, I want to change this rule. I want to change this. And, and we would always hear Bill say that in the past, and you get so frustrated. Yeah. I put everything out here. Uh, but, yeah, we all have to kind of learn the hard way, I, I think. Um, but, yeah, that information ho uh, overload and that horse race, racing study is just perfect example of that. Yeah, you don't need all that indicators. Use, use a couple of them. You know, that we have some great proprietary indicators that help you to, to be in the right merchandise and then use the, your money management and to rinse and repeat. You'll do just fine in a long cycle. Okay, so let's go over another concept here, uh, being flexible. Yeah, very hard to do. A lot of people, like Scott O'Neill will say, they, they put their flag in the sand and you know they, they defend their position to the, to the bitter end. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll see it a lot with people, uh, like they go on TV and you know it's almost like a, a curse if you, if you make a statement and you're wrong. You know, you, you, uh, you can't, you're not allowed to change your mind. It's just incredible to me. So people are slow to change their mind, which is probably why stocks can trend. It takes a long time for them to be convinced. Analysts, uh, portfolio managers, and, and the best part of a stock's move always seems to be at the end. Mm. Why? Because that's when they've become convinced that it's a great stock. Well, they're convinced and now they're getting the confirmation yeah. too. Right, so so it's that combination of, of both. They're not they're they're actually right. Yeah, at this time. they may have been holding that stock for a good uh, few years, not seeing a lot of progress to it, and now it's starting to really move. Now they're starting to see uh, news, you know, in the in the financial networks or whatever, saying, "Hey, this company is doing really really well. The stock could be valued higher." Yeah, analysts are coming around, upgrading the prices, and yep. it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy where now that cycle really goes in, in that direction. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's uh, or if you don't own that stock, you, you know, you have this FOMO, right? Uh, everyone else on the street owns it. I've, I've better get into that, right? So it's one of the key attributes to investing is patience. And that's why if you can be patient when you own something like that, you, you'll participate in that best part of the move. I, I can't tell you how many times 
I've identified a good stock, sometimes to my detriment, and yeah. been in it, and just been in it, and it there was a period where it didn't do a lot while I was in it, right? So what was so what was so good about identifying the stock early? Because the best part is late at the end, and, and that's usually kind of where I've been worn out. So you want to try to give them room to breathe, give them a chance to work, and, and it takes patience to do that. In this day and age, we're, we're all attached to our screens, and there's so much information. What is the average holding period of a stock versus the 60s? It's seconds versus, uh, you know, years. Yeah. You know, is it that short seconds? Well, if you include I, I, I all the machines. Say days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say days. I would bet it's, it's, it might even be, I don't know if it's seconds, of course, but it's probably pretty fast. You know, some of these machines turning over these stocks in microseconds. So Right. Uh, now, there, there was an interesting uh, study with Fidelity. I'm glad you that... mentioned this because I almost forgot about it. I, lo- I love this study. It, had you heard about it before? I have heard about it. Yeah, because yeah. you worked at Fidelity, I right? did, yeah. Now, allegedly, this study was scuttled. In other words, be, you know, because what they found wasn't beneficial to them, to them as, course, as a brokerage yeah. firm, yeah. they didn't want to make, uh, make it <laughs> known. but. They, they analyzed their best performing accounts. They thought, let's go into all our accounts and find out who the best investors are and see what some of their attributes were. And their top performing accounts were what we call orphan accounts. Okay. So an orphan account is either that person's passed away, didn't know that, and uh, their, their heirs or their spouse didn't know they had an account there. Yeah. So it just sat there and did nothing. It was patient, as you know, as patient as you can be, right? Right. Or people forgot that they had an account there. When I was a broker, I had a, a client who passed away on me, and and I got um, my firm told me, well, you can't do anything with this account. I couldn't close any positions. I couldn't add any, of course, and uh, I had discretion on the account. So I ca- I kept trying to get a hold of somebody there. Yeah. And couldn't. Well. He this was in the late '90s, and so he was stuck in all these great stocks, <laughs> and he didn't have me to get him out of them, <laughs> you know, and just wiggle them out because they were going up, and 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 so the best performing accounts at Fidelity were these orphan accounts. Now, were these orphans accounts mainly in mutual funds? I don't know exactly whether they were invested in stocks or mutual funds, but right. the bottom line is they were invested and they they didn't get shaken out, right. which is a, they a, rode the trend yeah, until the end, which is a big you know problem that you know that I have and mo- a lot of people have. When, but, when you watch too closely, it's it's easy to get shaken out. And and let's talk about degree of difficulty uh, in investing. Yeah, I I love this one. You don't get any points for degree of difficulty, so why why make it hard on yourself? My daughter does gymnastics, and so the, the harder the routine, uh, you get you get a pers- uh, multiplier based on the uh, the score you get. So you could do a really difficult routine, pretty good, and get a higher score than than somebody that did a great routine, but the routine was easy. You get the idea. Yep. Well, they don't offer any points of degree of difficulty investing. So why make it so hard on yourself? And I encounter this all the time. I, it's like I have a one of my favorite sayings is just buy stocks that are being bought and sell stocks that are being sold. It's that simple. You know, don't try to outthink it. If, if it's going up in price, if it's working, leave it be or, or buy that one. And if it's not working, leave it alone or get out. It's, it, it's hard to do because 
we get so invested in these names, but if, if you just let the price kind of guide you, 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 you have a pretty good, you can stay with the trend and, and do pretty well just doing that, just listening to what the price is telling you. Yeah, this is where really busy people like doctors, lawyers, who, who don't have, people who don't have time to watch the markets, they actually have an advantage. Yeah. Right, because if they just get into some of these stocks uh, and they have a much better chance of letting them ride because they're not watching the screens all the time. They're not going to find a reason to get themselves out of it, yeah. right, out of every little wiggle. They'll just ride them up. And I know a number of people who just, they rode, like you talk about Apple and, and some of these great, great stocks, they rode them up yeah. because they're like, oh, well, it didn't break the 50-day moving average. You know, it didn't it didn't give me that. I'm just riding it up. You know, I'm too busy to, to notice it. I don't want to lose my position. And when you're in a, a great market, that's going to be really to your benefit right there. Yeah. So pay attention to how your behavior affects your stock decisions. Now, three concepts to focus on. Remember about information overload because that can lead to overconfidence. Be flexible and be willing to change your mind if the market is telling you something different. And, of course, always have a checklist uh, with a set of rules to keep it simple. In the end, it comes down to us actually following the rules that work in the market. Coming up next, we will talk about two Chinese stocks that are popping up on the radar. So stay tuned. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one -on -one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We're back with Scott St. Clair on Investing with IBD. So, Scott, let's go into some current stocks. And the first one is a Chinese stock that's coming up on our radar. This is Baozun, ticker symbol BZUN. Now, these guys, they help larger companies, a lot of multinational companies, get involved in China through e-commerce. So they're helping their brands really get integrated into the country. And so they're providing consulting for these large brands, uh, distribution, customer service. They're doing a lot of things there to really kind of uh, get them involved within the whole business there. Because as you know, there's a lot of regulation mm -hmm. that gets through. Uh, one interesting thing here is they partner with Alibaba a huge company there, and JD.com. And from our standpoint, from the chart standpoint, it's showing up on our screens. I think their quarterly earnings were up 40-some uh, percent last quarter. Yeah, last uh, quarterly earnings, they were up 44%, and sales were up 31%. So, so it's starting to get starting to, Yeah, and, and then it's coming out of a base, so it's it, it's starting to show up on our radar, which is what's so cool about our a lot of our, our tools that we have is stock's been in a long sideways downtrend for a long time and you just kind of forget about it you know right. I, this was a stock that was really hot maybe in 17 2017 yeah it was a great stock did really well and then you know corrected probably i don't know 40 percent i'm guessing and so it falls off your radar you don't even know it. but as long as you're doing the work and then it started to show up on my screens the last couple of weeks yeah and now they're part of the computer software enterprise group uh, and there have been a lot of companies that have done well there. This is one of the best groups uh, in, in, out of all 197. They're actually ranked number two. So you know, one concern that I, that I have is that 
there all these other members have done so well. Yeah. Why has it taken so long for Baozun to to participate in this? Well, the the easy simple answer is China's been in a you know correction bear market, whatever you want to call it. The the Chinese market hasn't done that well, and so there's when you trade these ADRs, it, there's sometimes there's it's, it's tough. You have this dichotomy, like the relative strength can be really poor, but if you were to compare it relative to its all its other peers or if you if we had the ability to put a relative strength line of the uh the hang sang it's probably done really well you know so yeah, yeah when you get in into the adrs i like the adrs be, uh, because they have a lot of growth and when the stocks move they really move but when they move they really move the other way as well too so you, you know you have to build that into kind of your position size and everything, but the, that's probably the the answer is, is probably you know swimming upstream against the overall market overseas. And, and for those who are newer to the podcast or investing, what does ADR stand oh, for? Oh man, it's a American Depository Receipt. All right. And it took me half a second. But you, good try. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to stump you. There. You almost threw one at me. Yeah. So it's it's basically a, a share of that company, but it, it, it's it's deposited here in America, therefore American depository receipt. <laughs> so so this is one uh, definitely keep on your radar. Uh, and and as we mentioned at, at the beginning of the episode, a number of Chinese stocks are starting to finally come back on the radar. They, there are tons of Chinese stocks that did really well in 2017, and a lot of times these stocks they go in cycles, and so you have that rotation, and maybe the Chinese stocks. They can now start to take leadership if, if this market gets yeah, better. Yeah, if it's better. starting a new bull market, who knows? But if it is, you have a lot of runway, right? Because it's been in a, a bear market or a correction for a long time. The second stock on the list that we want to talk about today is Massimo, uh, ticker symbol MASI. Now, these guys are a medical device company. Uh, and what's interesting about them, it's a, they, they're really into non-invasive patient monitoring. And and really, their their key device it helps uh, it helps doctors and, and uh, nurses monitor patients' oxygen saturation levels. So that they, so it, pretty much now everyone who goes to the hospital they're going to hook these hook these uh, devices up so they can see hey are they getting enough oxygen? Do they have enough oxygen in their blood uh, coming or and they can just monitor that real time. They don't have to prick them at that point. You know, it, it's all non-invasive. They also have other devices uh, that can monitor brain function. So they're really g getting this really nice niche uh, in the hospital world. Yeah. And, and it's been a great stock for a long time. And it's kind of the opposite of, of Baozun. It's a little bit more study, you know, not as volatile. If, if you get it right, you're not going to make as much probably and that you would in uh, Baozun. But you also don't have that kind of day-to-day -day volatility, which you know, when you have me back for the next podcast, although I th we, we could talk about like building a portfolio. So you don't want to have five Chinese ADRs as much right. as I would love to. Right. So you have, that's what's, you know, these two stocks are almost polar opposites probably from a trading standpoint. But that, that, that company's done really well. I, I, I've, um, their products are, it's one of the areas that Bill did best at was retail or medical products. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of times that's that that that's the case. You're going to do better in certain industries and and certain sectors than other sectors, and that's one of the things that we all have to learn over over the years. Uh, you're just going to understand certain businesses better than others, and and you know Bill O'Neill, he he understood the medical industry or, or kind of could 
put those pieces together in the retail industry, right? For me, it's a lot of the tech, larger tech stocks uh, and retail. Yeah, and I met, and when you had Mike Webster on, he talked yep. about look around, right? What, right? If you're a doctor or a nurse or you're in the medical field, what are the products and services that people are using? You might have been able to identify this stock 50, 60, 100, 200% ago, you know, because they've been on a long run. It's done really well. Yeah, and uh, if you look on a weekly chart for, for Massimo, uh, this this stock has been kind of a almost a steady Freddy, I, I, I would say. It has gone in 2016. It went on a really nice accelerated run, kind of more of the growth kind of run that we look for. They took a they took a nice break uh, for a year and a half, and then it started to go on the kind of the the 30 degree angle upward, just steady, slowly building. But one key thing that this never really did is. It never convincingly broke the 200-day moving average, and that you know, if if you don't really want to trade a lot or watch stocks a lot, you know, that's a that that's a moving average that you want to pay more attention to because that's a much longer-term moving average. It, it it's moves a lot slower, and a lot of the stocks will eventually find find support off of that, uh, and they may hang around there for a long time, but. Bad things really happen if they fall below that. Yeah, that that would be your if you're a really long term holder. If you're trying to have a huge home run, then you're probably going to have to watch your stock. You know, test that line a, a couple of times through its life cycle. So, so that's Massimo. Uh, let's go to the the third stock, and this is Tal Education T A L. Now, these guys are a they're a Chinese uh, tutoring company, and 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 yeah, we all kind of know this there, there's there's eventually there, there's starting to be disruption in just the way everyone's learning especially kids and, yeah uh, or even in college you know online learning you're starting to see that happen more and more i see a lot of like online mbas not, not like really mm-hmm. like big time schools are starting to yeah. you know, offer online mbas uh, out there uh now now uh, tal education they're really targeting more towards uh, you, d- during uh, during just high school and even less younger than that, um, they're giving uh, small providing smaller classes in live, but also the online. So they kind of have a hybrid uh, that's going on here. But they're covering a lot of different subjects and they're building multi-year relationships with students too. They have a the perfect business model. And in this day and age, I have two young kids. Uh, my daughter's starting high school next year. And as a parent, they've got you. They've got you worried. Yeah. They've got you worried about their future. They have you spending, and I don't mean this company, I mean in general. You should see the amount of money I spend on tutors and classes. And my son is in a math program, and he was just finished a programming camp. And you just feel like if you're not doing this, you're gonna, your kids are going to get left behind. And it's uh, it's probably an irrational fear, but they've they've got me right. So yeah. I'm doing this, and everybody around me is doing it, you know, to the nth degree. And so these extra education that people are spending is is a huge industry right now, and in China it's a big deal as well. They're very focused on their children and, and education. Yeah, and and a, a much larger market yeah. too, right? And and that's a that's a market that's transitioning. That's a country transitioning. More, um, there's a huge growth there. The middle class is growing dramatically, and there are a lot of parents feeling the same way, where they have to provide all these services uh, towards their kids. Now, when you pull up a a weekly chart of of this stock of of Tal Education on on a Market Smith chart, 
Uh, the quarterly numbers are fantastic over the last few years here. E- even in November 2017, their EPS percent change is 125%. Then it was like 75% the next quarter, 100% the quarter after. So monster growth here. Now it's slowed down a little bit, which probably contributed to why the stock corrected about 40, 50%. Yeah. But that that growth is, is is starting to come back, and the sales throughout that time have been pretty steady too. And it's the same thing. It it was amazing stock, you know, in sixteen, seventeen, and even earlier before that. And then it went into a large correction, falls off your radar. But lately, it's been showing up in my screens again because not only the the you know the earnings and sales are there, not as large as as you as they used to be, but still they qualify. But now the stock is shaping up, right? It's just coming out of a base maybe a day or two ago. Yep. So those are three stocks that you want to keep on your radar. If this market can continue to hang in there and uh, we can get through these uh, more summer months, these kind of doldrum uh, type of months, these stocks could do really well if we get a nice fall rally. Uh, Now, remember also behavior. Pay attention to your behavior. Pay attention to how it can affect your stocks. That decision-making is always so important. A lot of times, it's your, your mental state that can affect you know, whether you just irrationally sell a stock or even just let the fear of missing out uh, cause you to buy stock, chase that stock up. Uh, so thanks, Scott, for being here on today's podcast. Thank you. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Now, next week, we will have Tom O'Halloran, partner and portfolio manager of Lord Abbott, And we're going to discuss a number of interesting things. Uh, He's been doing this for a long time. IBD has been a huge influence on his life. Uh, But one really cool topic that I can't wait to discuss with him is how technology is getting so advanced, it's actually causing a revolution of the brain. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pires, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.